Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we're going to Costa Rica, and more specifically to School of the World in Costa Rica, where I met up with Falcon Murti at the end of a wonderful week in Hako. And we had a little chat about our experience and talked a lot about international travel and all kinds of fun stuff. This episode deserves a brief background uh, on how it came into fruition. And that story goes a little something like this. At the end of last year, with the prodding of my girlfriend, Natalie, I got my passport for the first time, and uh, we went to Oaxaca, which is in the southern part of Mexico on the Pacific Coast side. And on that trip, I absolutely fell in love with Latin America, with the people, with the culture. And since then, I've had this insatiable thirst for adventure, for exploration, and for more time in Latin America. And what I really want to do is get out on my bike and just go. I want to explore the territory um, on a bike, which is my happy place and how I like to experience the world the best. But one thing I learned on that initial trip to Oaxaca is that if you don't know Spanish, and I don't, traveling outside of major city centers is challenging. You know, if you go to a touristy area, you're going to probably run into people that can speak English. But once you get out of those major city centers and out of the touristy areas, uh, you're not going to probably run into many people that are speaking English. And, you know, if you are going to go adventure off in foreign lands. I think it really does pay to uh, know the language or at least be able to fumble through it so that you can communicate with people along the route. You know, ask for directions. Uh, where is the bathroom? How to order food? Um, just general stuff. If you need help, if you need to get to a hotel, whatever it is. Um, of course, there's Google Translate, but I really like the idea of immersing yourself in the culture and communicating with the people in their own dialect. And so that's been something that has really been spurred on by that initial trip. And since then, I've had this profound desire to keep going back to Latin America. And with that, I really want to learn the language. And ironically, after that trip, um, I got an email from Falcon who was actually emailing me about a podcast suggestion. And I found out rather quickly that he is the owner of a place called School of the World in Jaco, Costa Rica. And they literally teach uh, Spanish there. They also teach surfing and yoga. And Falcon himself is a bike packer and cyclist. He's done uh, the Montana Bike Odyssey a couple of times, which we're going to be talking about on this episode, as well as the TNGA, which we're also going to talk about briefly on today's episode. So, and then uh, to make a, sh a long story short, uh, after a few emails back and forth with Falcon, uh, we started to make plans on getting me out to school the world to learn Spanish, to immerse myself once again in Latin America culture. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking all about that. And 
really, I think that this is going to hopefully be a ongoing conversation as I go through this journey personally, as a person who is interested in exploring the world on a bike, as a person with a new passport and this newfound insatiable thirst for foreign lands and new cultures and new experiences. I am going to be taking you along for the journey, so we'll see how it goes. And today's episode will be the first segue into what I hope is many more international trips and international podcasts. And I'm looking forward to taking you along for the ride. So let's get into today's episode. But first, this is the part of the episode where I would normally thank our new patrons, but we didn't have any sign up this week. So if you'd like to hear your name broadcast on the next episode of the Bikes for Death podcast and support this great work, you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. All right. And back on today's podcast, we got Cameron from Ren Sports. Uh, Cameron, it's been a minute, but y'all been really busy behind the scenes, uh, rolling out new products. And I know you even got more products that are coming to market soon. So we have lots to talk about. I think today we're going to focus on the perseverance bars. So um, we've talked about them a little bit before, but you've rolled out new products. So what's new with the perseverance bar? Yeah. Hey, Patrick. It's always a pleasure. Uh, like you said, we got lots of new products coming down the pipeline, um, all of which are really bikepacking centric or have a degree of bikepacking focus. But yeah, the Perseverance bars are close to my heart. We've been systematically rolling out piece by piece, and we've talked about that before. But I'm happy to say that most of the package is now completely rolled out. So these are a drop bar and a flat bar. Last time we talked, it was just the flat bar. Now we got the flat and the drop bar. These are two bars that have that front loop. You know, a lot of people are familiar with the Jones bar. I had wanted to love that bar, but I found the angles to be too simplistic. It was really more about mounting accessories than additional hand space. So on these long trips, both gravel and mountain, I've been thinking about, A, what would a functional front loop look like? And B, how could I streamline it between my gravel bike and my mountain bike to give lots of bag mounting options, lots of light mounting options, lots of different hand positions and streamline that between the bars. So now we've got our bars out. We have the world's longest bar tape to make sure that you can wrap it all the way from the end to the tip of the nose because it's a huge, huge loop. It's basically almost like a whole nother bar worth of metal that we put onto the front of these these handlebars and we now have our in-house armrests there are a lot of armrests that are out there but none of them fit my wants and desires particularly to be able to go from a drop bar to a flat bar and take up very little real estate so these were designed to work with both bars so that you don't have to buy two different armrests that you can just buy one armrest and use them between both sets of bars if you own them yeah that's awesome. I've been uh, checking them out and I really like how minimal it is, uh, specifically with those armrests and being able to create the same setup, whether you're on a flat bar or a gravel bike makes a lot of sense because we want to get comfortable in a position we're used to if we're going to be in the saddle for a long time. So obviously, man, tell people where they can go check these things out. 
Yeah, head over to just rensports.com and you can see that uh, you can buy any of the stuff a la carte or you can, um, we've now created these adventure kits so you can buy the bars and get all the accessories that come with it uh, and save some money in the process. But wait, there's more. If you would like to try the Perseverance bars for yourself, how about an extra 15% off? Just use the code BOD15 at checkout or if you use the link in the show notes or at bikesordeath.com, the 15% discount is already applied. Happy shopping. Today's episode is also brought to us by my friends over at Stan's No Tubes. Today, I want to tell you about their race sealant. Their race sealant is a great option if you really cannot afford to get a flat, if you're going on a trip, an overnighter, a long gravel ride, and you just don't want to deal with flats or you can't deal with flats. Maybe you're racing and you don't want to spend those precious 10 minutes fixing a flat. You just want to go, go, go ride your damn bike. So enter Stan's race sealant. For nearly 15 years, Stan has been quietly formulating a special race version of their legendary sealant for many of cycling's most successful teams. Working with athletes who push themselves and their tubeless systems to the absolute limit, they've developed a proprietary sealant formula with close to twice the amount of their standard sealant crystals plus an XL crystal capable of sealing even larger punctures. Stan's race sealant's combination of large and small sealing crystals interlock to form a lattice work that not only seals, but strengthens and reinforces the area of the puncture, allowing for an entirely new level of sealing performance. The quantity and the size of crystals in this special formula means that Stan's race sealant can only be installed directly into the tire as a result of its immense sealing capabilities, race sealant is not compatible with injectors or other valve installation methods. Race sealant should be inspected every two to three weeks for best performance and be sure to rinse the race sealant out of used tires intended to be stored or reinstalled. To find out more about this amazing sealant, head over to notubes.com or head into your local bike shop and pick up some for yourself. That way you can ride your damn bike without a damn flat. Today's episode is also made possible by the School of the World in Jaco, Costa Rica, where I just got back from. Of course, you can find out more details about them on the website or in the show notes. And if you have any questions about my personal experience, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to answer any questions. All right. That's it. The bills have been paid, and now it is time to get to my chat with Falcon. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends, or you could be alone. You ride for a day, or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Oh, death. Bikes. Oh, oh, oh. 
that pretty good? Yeah, tell me about the waves. Yeah, so the, it's a nice offshore breeze this morning. Tide was at about 9 o'clock. I got out there a little, at, uh, a little before 7, and it was super sunny and clear and glassy. And uh, the waves were closing out, but I was still, still managed to catch a few rights and a few lefts. You know, it stayed open long enough. And it was nice because there was a bunch of friends out in the water and just made for a nice, you know, fun experience. How long have you been surfing? So I started surfing kind of when I was in college. I used to go with my, my buddies and I would go surf and we'd take these all night road trips from the University of Georgia in Athens out to Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. And we would just get in my buddy's van named Matilda and we'd drive there. We took like, I don't know, it was 10 hours or something. It was a long drive. And we'd show up and try to surf. And every time we got skunked because the waves were crap and there was uh, <clears throat> just nothing. We didn't know anything, so we were going to try to surf. Uh, and so that was my introduction to surfing, and that was a long time ago. I was in my early 20s, I'm in my mid-40s now. So, uh, but at 29 is when I actually started surfing. Yeah. And that's when I came to Costa Rica to surf um. and learn Spanish to here to the school that's a good tie-in yeah so uh for the listening audience where are we right now uh so we're sitting at the school of the world in Haco, costa rica uh in my studio which is open air yeah um just saw a hummingbird fly by <laughs> a second ago and it wouldn't surprise me at all if an iguana comes walking over the railing right there i was about um, to say I mean, we got yeah we got birds yeah, there's all, there's I think all, the, all I think we will see an iguana yeah, at some point. It's pretty likely they're they're all over the place. Yeah, I was telling Natalie like every place you go to has their own like thing or you know animal or reptile or whatever it is that's running around. In Kauai, they have like roosters and chickens everywhere. Come here, they have iguanas everywhere. Oaxaca is like wild dogs everywhere, but it's like. Yeah, it's. I love the iguanas. I love them. Yeah, they're uh, they're kind of magnificent. They're um, there's a lot of them here, and it's funny because they'll they're vying for territory quite often. So I've seen them like two big ones, you know. And I'm 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 exaggerating a little bit when I say they're dog size, but they're big, <laughs> yeah. you know, four or five feet long. And I've seen them like wrestling here, and I think one day actually one th the two of them fell from that roof down onto this deck space right here and just kept kept going kept going like yeah. didn't phase them at all yeah but um i think there's probably i had to guess there's probably 20 of them that live on the campus yeah here like i've counted 10 in that orchid tree uh it's cool yeah when spanish class the first day uh, there was a, just an iguana like and i was I get excited about wildlife. I get really excited, you know, and so I'm like, oh my gosh, there's an iguana right there. And I had to take a break and go take pictures, but I love it. This is a wild place. This is a wild and a beautiful place. We were at a, we were at dinner last night and we got to see the scarlet macaws and we were at this restaurant that was like elevated, um, looking down to the ocean and the jungle below. So we were up in the treetops with white-faced monkeys and scarlet macaws. And the way you described them was, per I mean, it sounds like a pterodactyl, you know, 
Yeah. And they were they were like death diving and it looked like they were fighting or something. I mean, mm -hmm. it was like, I don't, it was out of this world, you know. It was yeah, like really it's, cool. They're a success story here in Costa Rica. I think for a while they were hunted and almost kind of to the point where they were extinct. And for then, meat or? Uh, I don't think they were more like, I don't know what, for plumage, for like de okay. decoration, because yeah. you know, they're rainbow colored, right? They're red, blue, green. I mean, they have just all the colors of the rainbow on them. And uh, Costa Rica put some laws in place to, to stop it and they've rebounded. And now, you know, you see them in flocks flying yeah. all over the country and it's really beautiful. They are loud though, like pterodactyl loud, yeah. you know? Oh, speaking of loud, that iguana, we had an iguana run across. I didn't even know it was an iguana. Natalie and I were in our room and I guess an iguana ran across the rooftop and it sounded like Natalie and I was like, did someone just die and like fall off the roof? Yeah. And I, I came outside and you're like, that was just an iguana. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a, an iguana wake me up one night and I thought somebody was breaking into my house. <laughs> like this, like just, you know, like I said, they're four, four to six feet long and they're running across the roof of the house and it sounded like a man like running across the roof and I was like, what is going on? And I came out and it was an iguana. And so yeah. they're- It's uh, a wild place. That's one thing I really like about, I mean, it's really cool to be, I love the jung, the jungle, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, what was the, the blue bird that we saw? Oh no, blue butterfly, I mean, sorry. Oh yeah, it was a morpho, blue morpho. morpho. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I need to send you that video too. I need, yeah, did you get a video of the butterfly? I did, yeah, yeah. like a minute and a half. It, it flew with George and I, were kind of right in front of us as we were pedaling up that hill. Yeah. And it was just like, going up and down and kind of went in between us and then it went up over our heads, but it was right, like it was really cool. And you could catch, you know, they're close to anywhere from eight to 12 inches in diameter. Like it's a huge butterfly yeah. and they're iridescent. So when the sun hits it, like they reflects that blue. So you can see that in that video I made. It was really, yeah, I it was would really love, cool. Yeah, I would love that. I've seen I, them out in the surf before too, which really? is, yeah, there's a pair of them out in the surf one morning for sunrise. And it's just, it's magical. I'd say Costa Rica in general, like I've been to a lot of beautiful places, but it's amazing how often I'm blown away by just a moment of beauty here, whether it's sitting out in the surf and seeing blue morphos fly by or being out in the surf and the sun setting and I look back over my shoulder and there's a double rainbow and a scarlet macaw flying over. I mean, these are all things I've seen or a sea turtle and a dolphin and a baby dolphin. You know, I mean, <laughs> just crazy. It's crazy. And I, I'm just I often kind of pinch myself and have to just acknowledge how lucky I am to be able to experience this beautiful place and it was you know the first time i came which was 20 years ago at this point it got me then too and i was here with a buddy and i was like it was a sunset and i just remember sitting on the beach with him going man like somehow some someday some way i'm gonna end up at least figure out a way to spend more time in costa rica yeah that was one of the questions i wanted to ask you like you do seem to be well-traveled from what I can tell. And obviously Costa Rica is beautiful. And personally, like I've, I just recently got introduced to uh, international travel in Latin America, went to Oaxaca, 
here and next we're going to El Salvador, El Salvador and mm -hmm. absolutely enamored by Latin America and wanting to spend more time here. But I haven't had the opportunity to see as much as I would like to. And I'm curious, like what, yeah, what, what's your perspective? Like what really draws you in and made you want to, you know, establish yourself here? Well, I think my first international trip I guess it was my second international trip. I drove into Mexico from San Diego with a girlfriend of mine a long time ago. But then like in my first proper where I flew somewhere internationally was to Costa Rica. And I was early 20s, in my early 20s. And my buddy Nate and I had spent 10 days traveling around the country on the chicken bus is what we used to call them. But like <laughs> you get on the bus and you know, they're, they didn't have AC, they didn't have bathrooms, that generally there were chickens, like just in, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge. But we spent 10 days traveling around the country, just seeing it all. And I just remember at the time being blown away by how nice everybody was, how beautiful it was. Um, that kind of Pura Vida, you know, the saying here where it's pure Vita, which, you know, translates to pure life, but it's just like, it's a, it's just a way of, it's a way of, it's a way of life, obviously, but it's, it's, you know, you like kind of take it easy and, and, um, don't sweat the small stuff. I don't know, but it, it, I have an example, maybe a little example, uh, our Spanish instructor, when we went to the farmer's market, so we do these labs where they take us and do Spanish immersion and we got to go to the farmer's market and, you know, order, I, I bought some oranges in Spanish, uh, Espanol. Um, but on the way back, someone cut her off and you know, when she was driving and she's like, ah, para vida, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. just like, yeah, so don't sweat the small stuff, yeah, man. Don't, like, don't worry about it. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't and that's really so mean true. Anything. And, and yeah. I, you feel that here, like mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to be that tension, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the people, yeah, the people and the, and the environment, just how wild it is, uh, you know, it's just, it spoke to me. I don't know the best way to describe it, but I'd always read, you know, when I was growing up, I read books about, you know, people living on desert, deserted islands and explorers and, you know, all of that. And being in Costa Rica, it felt like I was in a place that was still wild. Yeah. And, you know, it's changed a lot, but it still is. Like when those rides that we went on, like you get out, like it's easy to get out into the middle of nowhere quick. Yeah. And, you know, seeing monkeys and snakes and blue morphos and all of that is, is common. But um, <clears throat> so that 10 day trip that I took down here was my introduction to Costa Rica. And then a few years later, while I was in grad school, I was looking for a, a surf camp. And I was looking in, in actually in Ecuador. Uh, I was in Montana for grad school and it was cold and it was just, I was like, oh, I got to go somewhere warm and I need to, I want to, I want to, you know, learn how to surf. I really do. So I was like, I'm gonna find a surf camp and go. And I found actually, this was back in the day when they had directories on the web. So it was just a list <laughs> of yeah. surf schools around the world. And one of them said surf in Spanish. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I'm going to go surf and Spanish. So I was taking Spanish yeah. at the time as well. Um, and so I sent off an email to this school. It's called School of the World, which is where we are now. Yeah. Um, and 
they wrote me back and said, yeah, we got availability. Come on down. And I came for a month. And wait, you came for, oh, you came for 10 days the first time. And then the second time it was yeah, for a month. Yeah, second time yeah. while I was in grad school, I came back to Costa Rica. And in, in the interim, I traveled at that mm -hmm. point, started to see different places and been to Europe and, and uh, hadn't been anywhere else in Central America at that point. Um, but it traveled and started to understand travel and how enjoyable it was and all of that. But specifically, when I was when I found the place in Costa Rica, I said, well, you know, I've been and I think it's common when you it's like I'm, so, I'm gonna might misspeak here a little bit, but for me anyways, for a little while I was thinking about travel as, you know, I've done that, right? Yep. I've gone to that place. Check, now I need to check, go to this check, place, yep. you know, and now I need to go to that place, you know, and we only, you know, like generally have a week. So you don't want to do something again because you're missing you're missing out on something else well that trip in particular the second trip back to costa rica i was like look like i'm going to take spanish and i'm really going to get to work on my surf and i signed up for a month this time so i came to costa rica and spent a month here and it changed kind of my entire trajectory because first of all i surfed for a month <laughs> And after you, as you know, it's hard, right? Yeah, very you hard. You spend a week just trying to get your, get a feel for it. You're in the white water. You're trying to, you know, build your paddle strength, that sort of thing. Second week you go out and you're in the, you're out in the lineup, which is where the waves are open face and you're able to ride down the line and you're, you practicing and, and I don't know. I got the bug. I knew I wanted to surf. I'd known I'd always wanted to surf. I'd gone on all these surf, you know, surf trips, air quote, surf trips with my buddies in college, which always kind of um, just turned into sitting on the beach and drinking and wrestling and, you know, like just being guys, you know, um, <laughs> playing volleyball, doing that because the surf wasn't very good. Just but that trip here, uh, by the end of the second week, I was just I was in love with it. And so then I did two more weeks. So it was a full month of surfing in Costa Rica. And by that point, I really truly got to meet people in the town. I spent uh, the last week actually traveling again and went over to a, another break off the Nicoya Peninsula and surfed there on my own. Uh, and I was in love at the end of that month. Yeah. It's like, yeah, Costa Rica, you know, the people. You're just sold. Yeah, just, you know. People, ease of travel, it's safe. Um, I mean, they haven't had a military in 100 years. Really? Yeah. No military? Yeah. No. Like, no, they don't have a military. There's um, guns, guns are illegal for people to own. Like, it's just, you know, and it's stable. Like, yeah. Central America has, you know, has trouble sometimes, sure. but Costa Rica has been stable for a yeah. long time. Um, and so it was just, I just fell in love. Um, so then, I decided to come back the next year and do another month at the school with surfing and Spanish for both. Um, yeah, so that's uh, in a nutshell how I ended up here, I guess. <laughs> well, I, I think continue, like, let's continue that storyline. And because, you know, you are the owner of the school now. So it, it's a cool story. Like, yeah. you went from what, 20 or 25 years ago coming here? Yeah, about 20 years ago now. Yeah. I came as a student. Kept coming back and... Yeah, and came back again two years in a row. I came back for a month. And I joke about the school being um, a life ruiner. 
and I mean that in a good way. It's one of those, it's a place where if you come and you start to meet other people, you see what the world's like, there's a ton of travelers that come here, right? So you meet people from all over the world that are on a gap year or traveling through all of Central America or taking a month here or, you know, like just, I don't know, it's just people doing different things. You all come here and surf and you, for me, and I've seen it happen now multiple times, like I can't even count how many times I've seen it happen, but it was an eye opener. Wait a second. I don't have to just work every day and take my two week vacation and go back to work. You know, like I can, there's a life, you can build a life where you get time off. I realized that it didn't have to just be a two week vacation, right? You could take a month, you could take longer. I mean, obviously you had to build your life in such a way to do that, but that, that second trip to the school, when I spent a mo another month here, I came away inspired to try to figure out how to shape the rest of my life around travel and surf and language and trying to be a lifelong learner, if you will, like kind of trying to go out there and yeah. learn more about things, meet more people, be exposed to different cultures, all of that. And it was all a result of that time, that kind of yeah. time that I had spent at the school. So my buddy Travis and I, who came down to visit me, started talking and we decided to buy some land down here. So part of my, like, my thought was, well, if I can get some land and build a house, then that'll, you know, that legitimizes me going to Costa Rica to go surfing all the time because I've built, I have a house there, yeah. you know? And it sounds glamorous, but I mean, we scraped together. <laughs> You know, it's like cinder blocks, right? <laughs> yeah, we scraped together as much money as we could to buy the land. And then uh, when I graduated from school, I came down here and spent eight, well, nine months living in Costa Rica, building the house um, and didn't finish, built till I was out of money and then moved to Atlanta to make some money to come back to build more on the house. But while I was building the house, I was riding my bike over to Hermosa, which where my which is where our house was, which is a five mile ride, you know, one way. It's up and over a mountain, um, and then back down a dirt road at the time to the house. But I was living at the school of the world because oh. I, when I was here that second trip, I talked to the owners. I was like, hey, I'm planning on coming back. You know, if there's any space available, is there any way I could just rent a room and not take? The classes, classes yeah. you know, and both Zach and Brian, who, are the, the, who worked here at the time, said, well, we'll see what we can do, you know, just it's kind of a, you got to play it by ear because sometimes we have rooms and sometimes we don't. Well, I showed up and they gave me, uh, I rented a little room, one of the little rooms that we had. And, and essentially like the whole time I lived here, there were a couple of weeks where I had to move out into like a hotel or somewhere <laughs> somewhere else because the school was packed. But I I moved from empty room to empty room throughout the school for that whole yeah. nine months. So I became really familiar with the school. I became familiar with the staff. Uh, I became good friends with Brian, who's my partner now mm, uh, yeah. at the school, and Zach, who's the former owner. And then when Zach decided to sell the property, he told me about it. 
told him he was crazy. <laughs> I couldn't understand why he'd want to get, get rid of it, but, um, he, you know, he had a life in Laguna and he had uh, his daughter Taya and like, they, you know, like, yeah, he had, he just, things had changed and I told him he was crazy. And then I also was like, there's no way, you know, and it's, the money, it's too much and all of that. How can I possibly buy the school? And, uh, so I went for a road trip after I talked with him, which is something I would do back then. I would take off, go travel around the country, surf different spots. Um, quite often by myself, just, you know, get in the car and, and go. And um, I started thinking while I was driving, like, maybe I could figure it out. Maybe maybe I could figure out how to buy the school. Yeah, and, the wheels start spinning. Yeah, absolutely. And and I had no idea how, but, you know, the idea was there that, hey, maybe I could. And, and I, I was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try. And I called Zach. I was like, Zach, I want to I wanna buy it. I don't know how. But I want to buy it, and you know me, yeah. and you know I'm kind of you know <laughs> creative and resourceful, and and you know like I'd like if you're willing and to a work with loco. me. What's that? A little loco. Yeah, yeah, poco loco for sure. Um, if you're willing to work with me, I'm going to give it a go. And he was like, I can't think any bad. Rather sell the school to because awesome. you just like he's like you know you know you're a product of it. You know what it yeah. is. You know what we're trying to do. You understand the culture. You know like everybody that works here knows you like. Uh, that, yeah. that makes me happy is what he said. It just makes me happy. I mean, like, yeah, you build a business you want to, yeah. you know, especially a business like this that you've poured so much into, you want to see it go to good hands. You want to make sure it's run well and your staff is treated well and all those things. So makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. He, you know, he, he wanted nothing but the best yeah. for everybody. And I don't think there's no way he would have sold it to just anybody right you know um so it made him really happy when <laughs> when i approached him about it and then i managed to figure it out you just know it was, a, it was a lot it's a lot to it but with help and friends and family and we managed to all yeah get it sorted and here we are here we are almost five years later five years now, later you know after covid and everything else but oh my um, gosh <laughs> yeah so, We'll skip over the whole COVID story. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a tired story at this point, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it, it kind of, you know, like I, I was interested. I don't know. We had, yeah, we already talked about all that stuff, but I think there is some COVID fatigue. Oh, yeah. You know, I agree with you. Out there for sure. I think we're all like ready to move on with it. Yeah, your story, like I'm glad you told that story because um, one thing that I really like to emphasize and showcase is how to live an intentional life, how to create the life that you want for yourself. And I think, you know, you and I are both products of American society and culture and our school system and, you know, the job, the house, the wife, the two kids. And it sounds like you at a young age uh, came here and that opened your eyes and it led you on a completely different trajectory. And it seems like you're pretty happy, you know? Yeah, I think we talked about it a little bit last night at dinner, too. I think that my parents raised me in a, such a way to kind of be willing to ask hard questions, yeah. you know, and to question kind of everything. I told you, you know, they were, they were, they were in our hippies. <laughs> and, you know, we, I was born in Alaska and, and, you know, mom was selling dried fruit and macrame on the side of the road. And dad was working in a, you know, on, a, on a fishing boat. And, like, we just they kind of raised me to just, and my dad's an entrepreneur or, own, or a small business owner, you know, so 
he works super hard and he and he definitely taught me how to work for sure but they also always wanted me to think about what i was doing and think about the reasons for it and i think my dad as hard as he worked didn't want me to do that right right and he's still he's a champion you know for me he'll just be like you know like hey just make sure you go surfing, you know, while you're down there. And just, you know, like he, he, and as we all get, as we get older, we realize how important it is the time is. We don't have, we have very little of it. So, yeah. um, he just, you know, he's always said, always pushed to, to think about it and go out there and do those things. He never said to throw it all away and just do it, you know, right. He wanted me to figure out a way to be able to live the life that I wanted to, you that's know? Good. So I think that's, you know, my parents and then travel helped to influence yeah. both of that. You know, a lot of I, people don't have parents like that, you know, in yeah. America, I think. I wasn't exposed to th- that even thought process until much, much later in life, like in my yeah. you know 30s. And so that's why I think it's important for me that I like showcase the last episode I had, Lindsay Shepard, she's living in her van, you know, she doesn't own a house. She... Mm-hmm. It's by choice. She, you know, she has a good job. It's that this is a lifestyle she wants. And this lifestyle provides her the opportunity to travel wherever she wants, whenever she wants, low overhead. And she does, you know, she goes and does, does cool shit all uh-huh. over the place, you know? Yep. That's cool. I wish I knew that when I was younger, you know? And I hope, you know, the more that message gets out there. I mean, not no one, not everybody's going to go to Costa Rica and buy School of the World, but just planting that seed that you can create a life for yourself that is outside of what I think at least Americans consider kind of normal, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, glossed over, but that when I said the school is a life ruiner, yeah, like that's what I'm talking about right. because you meet so many people that are doing so many interesting things. Right. And just by that kind of being around it, your, ex- that exposure opens up your mind to, to the possibilities that are out there in the world. Like growing up, my parents used to say to me, you know, you can do anything. You have the ability to do anything. And I believed it, but I didn't understand, I didn't really understand what it meant. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? What is anything, yeah. you know? And then through travel um, and, you know, kind of meeting people, I, you know, like I, you meet a rock star, you meet somebody who's written a, you know, a cookbook or, you know, like you start to meet all these people that do things and you realize, Hey, like we're all, we're all similar. They're doing anything. And you realize what anything like are the possible, uh, that it truly is possible. I guess it's not just this idea. It is actually like, there's somebody doing it when you meet that person. Like, you know, I mean, I've never done a podcast before. I've never, you know, I don't know anything about it. And now I know somebody, you know, that that does it for a living. And it's and that just continually is it's exciting to me, you know. Yeah. And the school, I mean, this is a perfect example of it, you know, like it it fosters that community and and the opportunity to meet different people and and um I don't know. It's I think you're I think you're hitting the nail on the head. That's been, I mean, again, limited experience, but my limited experience has quickly taught me the value of travel for a couple of reasons. One, you meet other people who are traveling and people who are traveling to interesting places are kind of interesting people. Like I, I haven't met one single person yet uh, who didn't have kind of an interesting story, yep. you know? 
um, on how they got here and why they're here. You don't just come here. This isn't an accident, you know. Yeah. Um, but also like the the cultural perspective that you get, the you know, embracing the pura vida lifestyle and. I really value that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I told you my email when we were talking about doing a podcast, like I'm legitimately interested in moving to Latin America, yeah. you know, like this is, or at least doing something similar to where you, I mean, you know, Natalie and I are always like, Oh, let's buy a property here. Let's buy a property there. Like, mm-hmm. You know I mean? I feel it, you know, I, I want to spend more time in Latin America and, um, I want to advocate for Latin America. You know, yeah. I think more people can benefit from those cultural experiences. Um, and I really think that genuinely School of the World is like a good jumping off point for myself and for other people. Like in my own personal journey, I think we should, I think it's kind of funny how this whole thing came to be. So I'll surmise it real quick. But you reached out about uh, your friend who runs a bike race called um, Montana Bike Odyssey. Yeah, the Montana Bike Odyssey. So yeah. I listened to your podcast with um, PJ after he won the TNGA. TNGA, which I had quit after <laughs> attempted. After, <laughs> yeah, after you 100, after 100 miles, I I stopped riding, um, and that's a whole other story. But so uh, you interviewed him. He had won that race yeah. and I listened to your podcast and listened to your interview with him and that's when I emailed you about Graham's race at the Montana Bike Odyssey because I was yeah. like oh, you know this race that Graham puts on in, in Montana is, is a fantastic ride I've done it two years I've done it twice last year I didn't after the TNGA and COVID or I had COVID but um, yeah it's an 1800 mile loop around the best of Montana, starting in Montana or starting in Bozeman and then heading all the way up to just south of the Canadian border and then down uh, to the east and back to Montana. Montana is a huge state. I think it's what Texas, California, Texas, Montana, I think, or or Alaska, 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 California, Texas, Montana are the kind of four largest states. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah, it's huge. And um, it's got pretty diverse terrain. Like the west is all the Rockies, and then it goes out into the eastern, the Great Plains to the east. And that race, his race, does a bunch of climbing and through grizzly country and stuff in the Rockies and then heads out to the plains a little bit and then back to... Ah, oh, Bozeman. Yeah, and we're gonna we are gonna talk about that in a little bit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we we definitely are. Uh, but yeah, so like you emailed me about that, and I saw your email address was School of the World, and it's it like I'm like I School of the World. I've heard that before, and so I like just typed it in Instagram was the first thing I did. Uh, it's become my search engine at this point, <laughs> 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 unfortunately. Um, but my girlfriend, Natalie, followed y'all and it clicked. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember she's been here before. And so I, I called her up like, you won't believe this. <laughs> School of the World just like contacted me and they want me, you know, he was talking about this other podcast, but holy shit, like what a small world. A crazy. She came here on her first international, her first solo international trip. And she picked this place, Hako, School of the World for surf instructors, uh, Spanish and uh, safety. Like this is this is a 
like you mentioned, this is a, a safer place to visit in Central America than there's other places you have to be a little more concerned. And also like you're in a group setting. And so there's like a curriculum and it's like built in stuff to do, right? Like yeah. it, it's kind of, it's like an, yeah, it's a good, it's like, it kind of makes it easy on you, right? Like instead of like showing up to a place and you're like, where do I go? What do I do? You come to a place like School of the World and they, they're like, no, we got an itinerary. We can help you get a taxi. We can tell you where the good cafe is. And it's, it's a nice entry into, I think, international travel, especially to Latin America. And like what, what in my own personal life, I, again, am very interested in Latin America. I'm interested in spending more time here, traveling here. I want to go on bikepacking trips. I want to, I, I like to get out of city centers. I want to, you know, I want to go to the most remote places and you can't do that if you don't know Spanish. Yeah. You know, you really not safely. I don't think I wouldn't recommend it. You know, whenever I went to Oaxaca, that was, that was a real eye opening thing for me because Natalie speaks pretty good Spanish mm -hmm. and I would have been really, I would have very struggled. I wouldn't have died or anything, but I would have struggled to just order coffee or or anything because they're not speaking english there yep. here in hako most people can speak english at least yeah some, i mean you know. so most of the tourist towns or towns that where tourists come right. in costa rica there's you know people are speaking yeah english as a second language but get out in the country out in the countryside from here same thing the nice thing with costa rica even if you don't speak spanish and they don't speak English, like everybody's just, I mean, I don't know, they're looking out for each other. You're gonna yeah. be okay, more than likely, <laughs> you know, um, whether you pantomime or whatever to get your <laughs> point across. But I agree with you, learning the language anywhere, yes. you know, is just, even if it's rudimentary and you can ask where the bathroom is and, you know. How to like, order a where, coffee. Yeah, how to order coffee. Where, where do I the, get to this? Yeah, you know, that, like, it just, it's a good way to ingratiate yourself to the culture, to start learning, too, you know. If you make the attempt, it's, uh, I, I it's like better than not, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, just people are going to respond to that positively. That's something Natalie told me, and I, I totally get it now and agree, is, like, it's kind of... What's the best way to put this? It's it's a little maybe rude to go into somebody else's country and just walk up to them and start speaking English and just expecting them to understand what you know you're saying. And it, it does, I think, ingratiate. Hopefully, like you're, hey, I'm trying. You know, I want to, you know, respect and honor your culture and what you have going on. Yeah, and, yeah. I agree with you. You know, I I don't. It's just a way to be respectful, yeah. you know, like try, yeah, try, try to, yeah. you know, and then, uh, if you can't, you yeah, know, you tried, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tried, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's I get stuff. it. I, I, I like it. I like the culture here. I want to, I just, I'm absolutely in love with it, you know, and I'm, I want to spend more time here and I want to know the language. I want to, I like people, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I want to talk to people. I'm a communicator. I want to be able to, maybe I'll do it podcast in Spanish one day, you know, yeah, 10 years be, from now, you know, cool. like come and interview people in Latin America, like here's some of the stories from their grandparents or whatever. Right. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in that. And so, yeah, when you email me, I was like, yes, I want to talk to that guy, but also 
you got a pretty cool story and 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 it kind of ties in with my own personal journey that i'm on with with being new to international travel and wanting to learn spanish and so um yeah i appreciate you like bringing me out and you know having me uh experience what you have going on here we are at the end of the week sadly i can't i mean it's I mean, I fly out at 5 a.m. or I, my taxi picks us up at 5 a.m. tomorrow and I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around going back to Texas right now. But yeah. It's been a great week, man. Goes by fast, right? Oh challenging though, too. I know you're like the surf and in Spanish, like it's it's challenging. But it's it hard. A, it was a good, like we call it, you know, it's a learning vacation is what we call it. But yeah. like, you know, you, you did something for what, five and a half hours a day. Yeah. Plus our bike rides, yeah, you know. So it, every day was a was a busy day. Um, yeah, you're not going to walk away being like, "Oh, I didn't get anything out of that experience." No, like, you're going to sure. get a lot out of it, you're, and some cuts and some bruises and some <laughs> sores and stuff too. Like yeah. it's, yeah, this is an act. But I, I mean, we love active vacations. I love active vacations. I'm not a sit on the beach and drink mai tais all day kind of guy. You know, like I want to be in it. I want to be doing it. I want to be seeing it. Um, so I think, yeah, let, I mean, let's give people an idea. I mean, we've been talking about it, but give your little elevator sales pitch or, or maybe not sales pitch, but what is school of the world, you know? Yeah. So this, the school of the world, it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real good question. I, mean, I've done I felt it. like I was asking the right person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't do the elevator pitch very often. Um, so the school of the world, we teach surfing Spanish photography and yoga classes here. It's a live on campus. So people come for one week, two week, three week, four week and up trips. We only offer our trips in one week plus increments, but you come, you stay at the school. You were talking about Natalie, your girlfriend coming down here and spending a week and you know the fact that it was safe and there was a curriculum and stuff it's really designed or maybe it, was, it wasn't intentionally designed for solo travelers, but it has become a spot where solo travelers come yeah. because you, because of the curriculum, because you're taking classes with other people, um, you instantly kind of are making friends, you know, so you could fly to Costa Rica and, ha and, know, and know nobody and we'll get you to the school. And within a couple hours, you're going to have a whole new group of friends and be out either in the surf with them or taking yoga with them or going on a photography field trip with them or, you know, taking a Spanish class with them. So it's, you know, we're a learning vacation, like I mentioned earlier, but um, that focus on those four, those four elements yeah um i i meant to i failed to mention earlier I, it's worth mentioning that when you emailed me and i called natalie i'm like holy shit school of the world and i'm like should i pursue this like i'm interested but like you've been there before like was it cool was it good and she's like oh yeah yeah thumbs up yeah <laughs> if you can make it happen let's do it and so cool i got the rubber stamp let's make it happen but one of the main things that she talked about um, was the communal aspect. And I know we, we talked about it as well, and it's a little bit hard to like explain exactly how cool and it is and how it just naturally does it on its own. It's not like you're telling people to go hang out. No. But when Natalie was here six years ago, 
she all she did was I mean, she has lifelong friends that she met here that she still keeps in contact with that are still traveling and they talk about their travel stories and they keep in touch and they spent the entire week together going to dinners, going to parties, doing classes together. And yeah, I mean, that's that's special, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was a student here. Yeah, you were a student. Look at you. <laughs> I mean, really, I was. I was a student here twice, and I, um, I've traveled all over the world and met up with people that I met that first trip. Yeah. My first time at the School of the World. So for, I don't know how, what the, what the, chemis- the chemistry is, but um, I think it's, for the surf, potentially for the surf side of things, surfing's hard, as you know, after this week, and you go out with a bunch of people that you don't know, and you get thrashed around by the waves, and you, and you learn something, and it's challenging, and you're all in it together trying to figure it out. I think you get this, like, instant bond that happens. Um, so, Well, you were also talking about the other night about how, like, people are looking for community, and what you're seeing is kind of like it naturally happens. Like you don't have to force people to build community. You just put them together and they're like, they want to be in a little group, you know? Yeah. I mean, for most people, like this is the first, you know, first time in a long time that they've been able to just hang out, meet people, go have dinner with somebody new or go to, you know, like our, like maybe one of our surf instructors is knows of a party and they all go together to that party. Like it's just, you, it's, Haku's a small place yep. and it's a tight knit community. We talked about it, you know, last year with the flooding everybody just jumped, you know, came to their neighbors, you know, uh, to help out their neighbors immediately after the flooding and, you know, there's 3,000 plus people here. They all grew up together, like it's a small community. But when you come to the school, since all of our instructors are locals, you know, and you kind of immediately have a toe in the community. Yeah. And so... Yeah, Natalie partied with some of the surf instructors. Yeah. When you know. she was here. And last night, like you said, we all went to a uh, surf competition last night. Like, I think almost everybody at School of the World uh, was, was yeah. out at the surf competition. And one everybody. of your instructors was leading the... The whole that was cool actually. Okay, so we should mention uh, we didn't even realize this, but Nana and I were getting surf instructed by uh, the guy who was ranked number one uh, in the surfing competition. He didn't win last night, unfortunately. He got to the finals in first place, and uh, rough waves last night. It was rough conditions, but I mean, you know, getting taught by like the best in the area. Yeah, by Yogi. <laughs> I mean, he he is a phenomenal surfer and's been doing it for a long time, and he's a good coach. He really yeah. is. And yeah. you could see it. I mean, you see him in the water when you surf with him. He's just, I tell students, I'm like, he just, if you want to catch waves, wherever he's at is where you want to be because yeah. he knows the ocean. And last night he did really well. It was fun to watch. The waves were kind of crappy, but um, it's the first time I'd seen a surf competition under lights yeah. you know, outside. And the you know, waves were huge and crashing right on the beach. It was a, uh, Looked like tough conditions for sure, um, <laughs> like real, <laughs> real tough conditions out there. But the, uh, yeah, the uh, in, kind of instant community is is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, you know, and that's it's, good. It's just a, it's a, it's a component of 
like all living together too. Like it's essentially it's a big house. It's a 13 yeah. room house. We share, we share a kitchen. You know, we had a big dinner or a big lunch yesterday mm-hmm. for Pedro's birthday, you know, and a bunch of students join you, you join, you know, and just like that kind of stuff happens, whether it's a birthday or it's a student's birthday, like just spontaneous gatherings. Yeah. And it's because we're together, right. Doing similar things, but it's, I don't know, it just makes for kind of good friends fast yeah. is really what happens. You know, I think, I think it's just cool people. Like you don't come and do this on accident. You're, you're living an intentional life. You're mm-hmm. curious, you're adventurous, you're something, you know, there, there's something there. You're all doing it and mm-hmm. there's a connection. I think, yeah, the classes uh, really help to like solidify those bonds because you're going to be in classes with these people. You're cooking in the same kitchen. And so, yeah, everybody is kind of, there, there was a lot of group dinners like, hey, we're doing this tonight. Who wants in? And let's mm-hmm. cook together and let's eat together. And yeah, it's really cool. I don't know if this is a good question or not. I think, maybe let's try it. Who do you think is a good, I don't want to use the word customer, <laughs> but who would, who, who is, who you know, comes school, to the school of the who world? Who comes like, to school of the world? Like, you know, listening audience, like who would want to come here? So it's going to sound like an easy answer, but we tend to be, if you can, if you are interested, like if somebody just has the inkling to want to learn, if you want to learn, right, then the school's the right spot to come from a traveling perspective, as a traveling destination, you know, like uh, we're teaching here. So, you know, you're not already a surfer generally when you're coming, you're coming to learn. And, you know, maybe you've had, couple years of Spanish in high school or in college and you want to get better at it, you know, like it's wide open. Like I think I told you, we've had, we have students that are 18 to 90 and sometimes they're here at the same time. And, you know, back to that community thing, it's amazing how well the 90 year old and the 18 year old, you know, get along and want to go out and do stuff together. And they're all in there surfing together and, or learning Spanish together. So, you know, I think, Obviously, you have to have a little bit of an adventure spirit. Yeah. Because you got to get on the plane. You know, you got to book it. Like, all that's got to happen. So, so you're going to a and, foreign place where you yeah, may not speak the going, language. You're going, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, so um, that's about it. You know, yeah. if, you're, if you're interested in being a lifelong learner, that's the way I think of it. You know, like, if you want to keep improving and keep exploring what's out there, um, then the school or places like the school uh, are are good for you. And, you know, this is not a come sit on the beach and drink Mai Tais, <laughs> like no. you said, kind of place. Sometimes on Saturdays, the students, you know, like oh, they yeah. don't, they, that's what they want to do because they just, you know, studied all week. Um, and it studied, but it was, you know. It's yeah, I a, should I should back up. Uh, <laughs> after a week of this, I wanted to sit on, I want to sit on the beach and drink <laughs> exactly, my tie. So yeah. it's not that I'm opposed to that. It's like, but you want to earn it first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we can, we're, we're, it's a good spot for anybody that's got a little bit of adventure in them. Um, and it'll just foster that spirit too. It's going to make you want to do more and see more and meet more people and find more places like it, you know, like it just, it's, uh, it's good stuff. I think that's perfectly well said. Yeah. I think that's exactly, 
a good way to summarize what you're doing here. And I, I can't imagine any, I mean, unless you know how to surf and speak Spanish and like, you've got all that done, then yeah, maybe not. But, yeah. but for people who are like, for me, this has been like in, empowering you know like this is this is a part of will be a part of my story hopefully the rest of my life you know like i did i did you know this week you know but the listening audience doesn't i did a surfing and uh spanish class and then falcon and i we did our own riding um which is another like cool thing like if you're a bike packer but you're also interested in latin america Bikes can't go in the water. You want to learn how to surf or maybe you're a, you know, blogger, Instagrammer and you want to like polish up your photography or whatever it is like, um, come to a place that is run by a bike packer and he can, uh, <laughs> he can put some routes together for you. But, uh, it's worth noting that the riding here is slightly challenging. Yeah. Slightly. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, Costa Rica is a mountainous country. And we're at sea level right here, and you quickly, you know, to get to get to any of the riding, you got to climb, and it's hot. Yeah, but it's really rewarding too. You yeah. know, like once you get up into the mountains here. You know, the other night I was riding, every evening I was riding, and there was a family of white-faced monkeys that were just raising hell in the trees above me. You know, and I stopped and took video and just like kind of the, what I was talking about earlier, you know, I'm like reveling in just how fortunate and how beautiful Costa Rica is. You know, like it was another one of those, like these, look at all these, you know, these monkeys. And I just was out for a bike ride. Yeah. I mean, it was a challenging bike ride, but I was out, I was out for a bike ride, you know? Well, listen, I mean, let, let's talk about the riding here. Um, I'm coming from Texas. It's hot and humid here, but we just don't have the hills. Like you're yeah. from Georgia and we're, you know, TNGA territory. And if you, if you come from a place that has climbing, I mean, it's just, it's hot, it's humid. Uh, and there, there's some climbing, but I mean, it's not like. It's doable. It's absolutely. doable. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's absolutely, just, yeah. I I struggled the first ride we went on. We started later than, uh, well, we had we had to go to the bike shop. We had to wait for it to open. But the move here, at least this part of the year, I don't know, maybe it's the whole year, is to either go early or go late. Yeah. Because we were on this climb on the first day we went for a ride, and the sun was just we had we ate breakfast. <laughs> that that was a steep i want to see the grade on that climb because i remember we rode it twice right we went down the second time the, when i was going down i was like yeah this is a this is steep uh -huh. you know and i i didn't you know the first time i went down it i was just like having fun going down it. i wasn't really paying attention yeah, to I how think it's steep like 15 percent or it's, something yeah, you know, it's 15 a chunk. to 18 yeah. yeah like it's a steep climb it's a steep, for sure. climb. steep gravel road it but, cooked me man it uh -huh. cooked me yeah but I, you know it's just in your defense it was 11 o'clock in the morning and that's you know like yeah, kind of that window from 10 to 3 is the hottest part of the day here you know yeah. and it was exposed and you know it was a cooker oh yeah sure i mean <laughs> I, no cooker. shame in my game i lost my lunch <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah. yeah it's it's out there somewhere <laughs> The uh, scarlet macaws ate that. Uh, oh yeah, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I think you know, uh, it's it's definitely rideable and it's beautiful and it's it's worth it. With the other ride we did, where we went out to the, we like we rode all the way down the beach, um, was just beautiful. I love. I mean, riding my bike in different places is like one of my personal favorite things to do. Obviously, and one thing that. 
I, I don't, I might even like this more than how pretty the scenery is. Like I just like being in an area where bikes are a normal and accepted part of transportation and life. Any time of day. The first thing I did when I got here, I got here at 11 o'clock at night. I stole your bike <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I went to a 24 hour burger joint uh, down in you know, the main street of Hako and uh, got a burger. And I mean, there's people riding around on bikes. There's people like they got their girlfriend on their top two and they're riding around and they got fruits or whatever. Like it's just so common and it's so expected. You know, Natalie and I were talking when we were riding, we were riding back on this highway. Um, there is only one highway and we were on it yeah. <laughs> and it's not even much of a highway, but yeah. whatever. <laughs> it's the main, that's the main, it's the Costa Nero, which is the main highway. It starts in Panama and runs all the way up and that oh, continues really? through the States up to, Oh, that's to, interesting. To Alaska. Like it's like, that's it's the highway. It's the highway that oh, runs through crazy. all of Central America. And it's like, you know, it's the way things are carried via truck through Central America. That's cool. Yeah, but it, but it didn't feel like much of a highway, right? No, it didn't. <laughs> and all and the other thing is like it just feels safe. Like I, it's a, there's still traffic, there's still cars, but I feel like there's an acceptance and awareness of pedestrians and cyclists that is per vita. Like nobody's yeah. like nobody's pissed off that you're riding on the road or you cut them off and you know traffic or anything. It just it feels like they're genuinely looking out for you. They're like if you you know if you decide like. You're like, okay, this is my moment to cross the road and you go. No one's going to honk at you and get pissed off or whatever. They're just like, okay, they hit their brakes and they just go on with their way. And we were riding into opposing traffic. I mean, you kind of ride your bike any way you want. You ride your damn bike any way you want. And I, I'm i like, I think that's, I want that, right? I want that in my life. I want to be in a place where that is normal, accepted, and I can, I feel safe, you know? I, I think, and I, I think... You know, for people listening, the idea of, you know, just coming to a place and you could live on your bike here. You don't ever need to get a taxi. You can just get your bike. You can go bar hopping, you can go to a restaurant, you can go to the beach. And it just, it feels, it feels good in a way that I can't even really express or describe, but it's something that I lack in my personal life and I'm into it. Yeah. It's a simple, it's a simple life. Like I was explaining to you the other day, like I, when I go surfing, I grab my surfboard, I get on my bike, and I ride down to the beach. Yeah. You know, and it's just, it's so nice to not get in a car. You yes. Know? And I, at some points, like, I, maybe I should get in a car and then drive <laughs> over to another beach or, you know, go. But it's like, it's just, I like my bike. I like how simple it is. You know, everybody's riding bikes because that's just how people get around. You know, it's expensive to have a car. So, you know, most people can afford a bicycle, a hundred dollar bicycle, you know, and they'll ride it to the wheels. Yeah. Off. A lot of bike shops here too. Yeah. We went in like that bike shop we went into the first morning when we were going to go for that ride. I was surprised because they had a full suspension carbon e-bike on the floor. And I don't know the price tag, but you know, 10 or $15,000. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, they have legitimate bike shops here. And yeah, it's, I mean, I found, we found the parts we needed they got us in so fast. Like we walked in, 
a little bit early. They weren't even open yet, but he came downstairs and I mean, they put our stuff in the stand and within 10 minutes we were out of there. George had to go get his bike fixed because yep. uh, the shifter broke and they just fixed it. And you were even mentioning like even getting work done. I mean, I don't know how relevant this is, but it's just, it's, I think it speaks to like the community and the culture. Like, I think they want to help, like you said, like oh, they're yeah. kind of looking out for you, you know? Absolutely. Like, you know, pull in, pull in there. You can ride your bike right into the shop area, yeah. you know, and they're, they're quick to put down the tools and ask you what's what's going on and if you need you know like a cable adjusted or whatever they'll do it like, yeah it's not drop your bike off and i have a great bike shop in atlanta but you know generally still i have to drop my bike off right. you know <laughs> and i come back the next day and get it if i'm lucky you know yeah uh but here it's um you know I, I don't know there's 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 three mechanics in there quite often so there were three there in there that you know, morning yeah. so they're they're used to volume because yeah. there's a lot of bikes here there are a lot of bikes for sure yeah so, i mean again we weren't in there very long but like a kid looked like he was on his way to school he has backpack and his air and his tires low he just he rode it in pop pop they filled him up and he went on his way you know it's like it's just i can't even tell you like how much i appreciate that and how much i wish i had that in my life you know like yeah there's a freedom there that i i don't get to usually experience and and i like it i like the fact it's not just safety but people are genuinely like kind of looking out for you and like nobody has any animosity for you because you're this stupid cyclist and everybody no, you know yeah it's not you know car, bikes were here before cars exactly i mean the second generation i wish people would remember that yeah. streets were developed for bikes not for cars yeah okay? <laughs> yeah i mean you know like it's 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 yeah i wish people remembered that i know? wish americans have forgotten and i guess a lot of places have america was huge too though you know and i think the that's bikes, part of the problem yeah well people you know people weren't riding bikes as far like like commuting and everything on their bikes as often, I think, like it was horses and car, then cars, you know, oh, yeah. where here, the bicycle was here, you know, um, as soon as there were bikes, there were bikes here and it's small enough country that people could ride their bikes to work and all that, I don't, you know, it's just a, yeah. a theory, I don't know, but it's definitely, it's bike friendly. Yeah, and, for sure. I think, yeah, that's something I I didn't expect, um, and really have enjoyed it. I don't know. You know, Natalie and I tried the top tube thing where she, I, we saw. No, we you saw, successfully did it. Oh, it was great. Like, we got video to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> you do. Falcon might send it to me one day. Oh, yeah. It reminds me. Um, <laughs> He's going to do it right now. But yeah, we, we've been seeing. I mean, it's just, I just love it, man. People are, um, what's it, resourceful, right? It's just like, we saw, we were walking back from a cafe this morning and we saw two ladies that were carrying like a really heavy bag and one of them was carrying and then like they set it down and they uh they tied a knot in the top of each loop of this bag and one took one handle and one took the other and then they started to carry it in unison down the street and and now we natalie and i went to the grocery store the other day and we were kind of fumbling with our groceries i was like see like they figured it out you know it's like just little things but uh -huh. I, you know they they weren't upset i don't know it's just pura vita man everybody's just so chill they're just doing their own thing and it feels good. Yeah, I mean, uh, it does feel real good. I was thinking that, like, the bikes here, all the bikes have baskets on them, too. Yeah. Like, pretty much every bike has a basket on it because, you know, you're not carrying anything. You stop at the grocery store on the way back from whatever errand you're running, and you throw it in your basket and yep. drive it up. I mean, the mountain bikes have baskets on them, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, uh, 
That one TT guy didn't have a basket on oh, him. Oh, no. He, he definitely, <laughs> definitely didn't. That guy spent uh, thousands of dollars on carbon rotors, I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so he could buzz by you. <laughs> yeah. It scared the shit out of me when he went by, too. I was all worried about cars, and I about clipped a bike. <laughs> going out into the road there. Yeah. It was funny. Cool. Well, tell me how and when you were introduced to bikepacking because you did contact me originally about bikepacking. I did. Yeah, I did. You tried. Uh, I you did. tried. Well, that was what, that's why I reached out to you is bikepacking. Um, so started, I did a trip, a touring trip. I'd ridden my bike, you know, kind of growing up, always rode my bike everywhere. I lived in Iowa for a little while and, and in the middle of nowhere, Iowa and would ride our bikes from one town to the next and just, um, then in Georgia, when I got a little bit older, I was always riding my bike. I don't know. I grew up on a bike. Yeah. Um, it's just always been fun. It wasn't, I guess I used it to get places too all the time because I didn't have a car. So I was riding my bike to go see my girlfriend when I was in seventh grade, you know, <laughs> hiding, hiding my bike in the bushes. So, <laughs> so her dad didn't know I was there, whatever, you know, like that awesome. kind of stuff. So, uh, but my buddy Graham that puts on the Montana Bike Odyssey, um, I think in 2015, 16, somewhere in there, he invited me to come ride with him, his dad, and his son uh, on the Route 66 kind of bike route across yeah. America, leaving from Santa Monica. And it wasn't bikepacking, we were touring, yeah. right? Touring. And I had 10 days off. That's all I could do. So I rode with them from Santa Monica to, um, I'm getting old. <laughs> don't tell me that. I'm right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, Somewhere near Flagstaff. Flagstaff. There you yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> so I rode Flagstaff, uh, which was a, it was a fun ride. It was interesting. First time I'd ever done anything where we camped, you know, like we were carrying, carrying gear to camp. I slept in gas station parking lots, you know, slept in the desert one night. Like we, you know, pulled into an RV center and talked to this guy wearing a MAGA hat was willing to let us go in and sleep on his, on the ping pong table and the, you know, in the, it was his homemade hat actually. But, um, we were, in a homemade MAGA hat? Yeah. Oh, like that's he was, awesome. He was okay. definitely a supporter. So. I mean, maybe not awesome, but, you know, like, <laughs> like respect. You're, like, you're, you're really into it. Yeah, he was definitely into it. But, um, you know, like went into this community center that was at this RV park and saw scorpions on the floor. And so I slept up on the ping pong table and that sort of thing. But the whole ride, uh, I think it was um, Adventure Cycling put the route together and you know, there's parts through Arizona and California where there's really no way to ride without getting on a freeway or an interstate. And they've worked it out with the Department of Transportation in those states that you can ride, you know, certain segments of the freeway or certain segments of the, um, the interstate. Yeah. Which I don't like. I didn't like it at all. Like, it's just not like... It doesn't mix like bikes and cars going seventy or more didn't seem to mix. Doesn't seem, it seems like a bad idea, you know? But I'm I not get that it, you know. Like I feel like there needs to be an op an option for people to ride their bikes, right? If you want to do that, you should be able to do it. Yeah. Um. It's a it's a stopgap measure since there's no trail system in place, but at least there's an there's an option. But did that trip with Graham and and Lyman, his dad, and Ben, his son. And it was a great trip, but I said to him, I remember saying to him, I was like, you know, I, like, I'd rather, 
I'd rather ride gravel and be out in the woods and, you know, not really have to think about cars too much, you know? And he, uh, he agreed, you know, he went on to do the Trans Am with his son. I think his son, Ben at the time was 19. They did the Trans Am the next summer and then, uh, did the Trans Alba in Scotland. Um, and, the following summer, so he's a, he didn't agree enough to stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, but I mean, like they, he he just kept cycling, but he did, you know, he did. Well, he agreed with my reasoning, you yeah, know. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but he's like, for me, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna keep riding. But for you, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. do whatever you want. <laughs> um, and then I think the following, maybe two years later, uh, I met up with him, and we rode Sin and I, and Graham and Aaron and Ben rode our bikes from. Uh, Bordeaux, France, down to set on the Mediterranean. Um, the Canal de Midi is a bike path that runs from there all the way down to the Mediterranean, um, up near the Atlantic, down to the Medi- Mediterranean. It's like 300 and some miles. That sounds perfect. We did it 10 days. You know, we had baskets on our bikes. I was, we rented bikes from a place in Toulouse, and it was, uh, you know, they were kind of a hybrid, like cushy seat, basket on the front, but we had pan, uh, panniers and, and, uh, we stayed in a hotel. So I got a credit card style, but that was kind of the beginning of it. And on that trip, Graham mentioned he was thinking about putting together a gravel race. And so bike packing wasn't really on my radar, but Graham, who I'd reached out to you about, um, was, and is a dear, dear friend. He was a mentor for a long time. He was a he started out as my TA in college. That's when I met him, like day one. You know, he was he was teaching me my intro to the design class as I was going through architecture school, and then I ended up uh, running into him at the end of his final year of school, the end of my first year of school. Asked him what he was doing. He's like, "Oh, I'm going to build a house." He's an architect as well. He's like, well, we bought some land. We're going to build a house. Uh, and this is out in Montana, um, up in the mountains. We're going to build a house and on spec. And I was like, Graham, I don't, you know, I don't know much about building houses, but I do know how to read a tape measure, and I'm a hard worker, and I want to learn. And so if you need anybody, <laughs> you know, let me know. And he ended up hiring me. So we spent, you know, that on that house we worked together just he and i for a year building the house um and i showed up on day one and cut the grass and then we did all the foundation work and we poured the foundation walls and we did all the framing and the roofing and the siding everything other than the trades so i got to be really really good friends with him so that's a long story to kind of say when he has an idea i generally am at least going to support it yeah. You know, and so his idea was to put this Montana bike odyssey together. He's like, he's working on it. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll do it. It's 1800 miles. Shit. You know, like, I don't, you know, like, I don't know. Sounds really challenging, but I, Hey, I'll give it a go. Yeah. And so I don't tell me up. that was your first bikepacking event. First. Yeah. First real deal. Like, yeah bikepacking event was an 1800 mile trip through montana yeah did it what is it about you that is open to that idea what is it about you that your friend says hey let's do the 66 route Uh you say yeah i'll sleep on a thing like hey 1800 miles yeah i don't know i'll try it 
I think it's that lifelong learner stuff that I was talking about earlier. Like I'm interested in just kind of, we got one go here yeah. and I want to, I want to meet as many people and see as many things and, and, you know, just drink, drink as much of it as I can, <laughs> you know, like as much of life as I can. Right. Um, and I don't, I think it came from, I mean, I have adventurous parents and, and, you know, reading books as a kid and thinking about all those guys, those explorers and all that. I don't know. Like it just, it just, you, you know, you, like yeah. I want to do, I want to do things and, you know, I mean, it's, you're not scared though. Nah, you know, I mean, I am, I am, but I try not to let that. Don't let it dictate. Stop. Me, yeah. You know, that's the way to like fear is okay. Yeah. But don't let it it's take a good thing. The, yeah. the front seat. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, we talk, talk to people Cynthia and I talk about it all the time. Like it's easy to find reasons not to do things. Like that's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. No, I can't do it, you know, for whatever A, B, and C, but like figuring out how to do it or why to do it or saying yes, you know, when it's potentially, you know, out of your comfort zone, like that's hard. Yeah, it is hard. And I, I and I'm not good at it, but I I do occasionally figure out how to say I yes you're to pretty things. Okay at yeah, it. I yes think you're to pretty something. okay. So. That was the race. Um, my first, or that was, I guess, my first bikepacking experience, which really was like an ultra endurance, eighteen hundred mile race. My goal was to do a hundred miles a day, and finish. That was actually my goal. I was like, I just, I took the time off. I mean, I own my own business, but taking time away from work is hard for me, and I, you know, like took three weeks off and I was like, I'm gonna take this chunk of time. Here's what, you know, like kind of lined out everybody at work and, and showed up not really knowing what I was going to get into. I'd ridden my bike a bunch leading up to it. I have a, you know, 75 pound boxer that I have a, a boxer dog that I have a trailer that I've like hitched to my bike and I would commute to work, which is just, you know, seven miles one way and back, but you know, pulling, I think I weighed it one day when I got home and I was had 110 pounds of dog trailer and gear <laughs> yeah. on the bike, you know, plus it acts as like a parachute. Yeah. So in the wind, it just catches. I've done yeah. this with a baby before. Yeah. I know. It's yeah. just like, it's a, it's a whole different, I mean, it's rolling weight. So it's not like I'm hauling a hundred right. pounds, but it's, it's still, it was training, you yeah. know? And I did, uh, I did that for the whole summer. It happened to be during COVID too. So the roads were kind of empty. I did that leading up to that race and, and showed so up. So what year the, was the first year you, and the, you, you participated in the first ever. The first ever event. NBO, NBO okay. yeah, yeah, which was 2020. Oh, it was 2020. Yeah. Oh, wow. What yeah. month? September still? September of 2020. Oh, wow. I guess he just figured y'all are just out there and there's no well, one out there. I or? mean, you know, we're playing it by ear. I think it like at that point, things had relaxed a little bit. Maybe yeah. it was in one of those, you know, waves yeah. that were going on and <laughs> It was it was weird because I flew to Montana from Atlanta and went through I flew through Minneapolis and like I saw one other person <laughs> in the airport you know it was just this like kind of surreal thing you know and I I got out there and I'd been you know all of us were scared during COVID it was a you know something we were all thinking about and the world was in a weird spot and and you know masking up and being in in you know social 
settings was just not a thing. Like going into restaurants just wasn't happening. Like yeah. restaurants were like none of that, right? And I showed up and I was like, well, I'm gonna go ride my bike. And we took off and and um I got my ass handed to me. <laughs> it was it was tough. Like it just was real. Like day the first three days kicked my ass because I'd flown from seven hundred feet, you know, kind of above sea level to five thousand feet above sea level. Jumped on a bike and started riding. Oh, yeah, felt that's like tough. I was felt like I was breathing through a straw, yeah. like a bar straw, for the first three days. You know, and I like and I was in shape. I was ready. I felt like I was ready. You yeah. know, and I was just like, what is going on? But at the end of day, day three. Uh, in Dillon, Montana, I think it was the end of day three, we're in Dillon, Montana, taking off to go uh, Fleecer. We Fleecer climb Ridge. Fleecer Ridge, but we go up the, we don't go like up and over like the way the, the, the Tour um, Divide. Tour Divide goes, hits it and goes down it. Oh, it goes the other way? It goes the other way. You climb oh, up it. So it's just a straight cool. hike a bike straight up this like ridiculous incline. Um, but by that day, when I got to that, I, my lungs were back and and I was ready to go, but uh, yeah. Long story short, it 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 was a hell of a, an experience, and I wasn't sure I liked it. <laughs> did like, you finish? I did. I finished it. Yeah, okay. I did it eighteen days. You said I got my ass handed to me, so I didn't know. I didn't no, know how to interpret that. No, like, no it was I, hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah. there's all sorts of stuff going on. Like I just said, my my derailleur exploded on day one. I had to like, um hitchhike back to Bozeman and get a new derailleur put on. And then, um, I got, went back to where I'd broken off and kept riding, you know, where it broken down. Um, then I'm, you know, I'm riding up kind of vintage cyclocross bike. I hadn't, you know, hadn't put, I didn't want to spend any money on a, on a nice bike. And, and I, we talked about it last night. I was just like, it's not really my ethos either. I'm like, Hey, you know, it's not the bike. Yeah, it's not the bike. It's not the bike. Yeah. You know, you got to ride the bike. <laughs> you got to ride the bike. So, yeah. I mean, the bike makes The bike just easy. sits there until you get on yeah, it. Yeah, the bike could make it easier, I guess, but you still got to ride the bike. So, yeah. it boils down to you, you know. But that uh, trip was hard. I think uh, it, it just, I kept thinking about what I was doing and and why I was doing it. <laughs> And I, I, why this know. sounds like bikepacking. Yeah, yeah you seven, have to question why you're doing it. Yeah, I was like seven, <laughs> seven or eight days into it, in my right hand, I got up one morning and I went to the bathroom and I and I couldn't wipe my butt because my, <laughs> my, my right hand was paralyzed, like in like claw form, and I was like, "What is going on?" Five years of podcasting, that's a new one, and I like it. <laughs> oh, sorry, I just like no, I, I like it. I, I have, I have this this. Uh, so you want to be a bikepacker? <laughs> dot dot dot. Are you? ready to not be able to use your hand to wipe your ass because your hand is like in a deformed claw thing like that's bike pet you know like i mean it's like if you're going to take on something extreme obviously there's like you know chill bike packing yeah you, you don't do, have but, to do that yeah, you don't have to do that but you know but you spend you know 10 to 18 hours a day on a bike there's just it's just not i mean you do everything you can to make it comfortable sure but your body feels it absolutely and reacts to it and in my case my hand just went numb to the point where i couldn't use it and it took months to come back yeah. honestly but that's the what nerve is that i forgot yeah, there's that I nerve in, uh, ulnar nerve yeah ulnar nerve yeah that's in your hand and i i'm affected by it too and i guess it's just how your hand does develop like some people it really bothers them and other people like they don't yeah, have they that issue at all, at all. Yeah. yeah i mean that sense i've changed the way my 
bars are set up and I have a different bike and all that. But I did that, did that trip. That was the first, my intro to it. And at the end of it, I told Graham, I was like, that was a hell of a time that we had out there. You know, I'm not sure how I feel about it. <laughs> it was intense. Um, I might not ever do this again. I, I might sell my bike. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever do this again. You know, it's, there's a, it's, it's, what was I trying to prove? I mean, it was just like you spend like 10 plus hours a day on a bike for 18 days. There's a lot of time to think. And that's hard, you know, in our lives, you know, like we're, we're, we all stay busy and we're all doing stuff and we don't really get, I mean, I don't know, I'm speaking broadly, but for me, I don't get all that much time where I'm interested, you know, like, yeah, I, get, I think I you cast like, a pretty wide net there yeah, and you know, catch a like, lot of people to start thinking about or be introspective, you know, and spend that much time. I mean, you're, you know, you're zoned out some of it cause you're just pedaling, but you're definitely doing some thinking, which I think is one of the things now that I really like about bikepacking is that time just, it's my time, you know, we never get that. And that happens when you're bikepacking. And yeah. that was, uh, it took doing it and then stepping away from it for several weeks for me to, to process it all because it was such a challenge. Um, but after I think two or three weeks, I called him up and I was like, yeah, so I'll do the next one. I'm getting a different bike, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm going to like, and I'm going to work on my gear. I think that first, that first trip I was, you know, 69 pounds, 70 pounds, Oh God, <laughs> all in bike, you know, and gear. I would imagine you might have to pack a little heavier during COVID times because you didn't know who was going to be open or, you know, what the situation was well, going to be with yeah. resupply along the way. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was carrying a ton of food out of the gate, but, um, which I don't do anymore. But the, I think also, you know, it was new. I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I didn't have some of the gear, you know, light, like lightweight gear, things like that. Um, and it's Montana in September can be 90 degrees and it can be 20 degrees. Oh God. So you're carrying all that, all that. And because, I bet it could rain too. Oh, and it's going to rain right, yeah. and snow. Like you're going to get all of that yeah. and there's going to be bears. And hopefully there's not fire too. <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be fires more than likely. Like there's a lot going on. Right. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It can be challenging. And I would recommend it to anybody because it's an amazing experience. But, you know, you have to carry, you kind of need to be prepared for it. Um, because you're, it's a, it's bikepacking, right? You're on your own. This is a, it was a race and you know, there's rules to it. So, um, <clears throat> you need to have what you need to have in order to deal with whatever kind of unforeseen stuff may happen. So I was carrying, I think, I don't know, Graham said it to me and, and I've heard it since then, but you kind of pack your fears yeah. You know, and that's what I was about to say. Yeah. I mean, when you're going into something and 1800 miles for the first time, you're going to pack a lot of stuff because you just there's a lot of unknowns that are going to happen. Yeah. You don't even know what you don't know. Yeah, you, it's exactly. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so you're trying to cover, you know, trying to make sure you got enough of whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know, to, to come up to deal with that unforeseen thing that might happen. Um, but yeah, it's good stuff. I said to people after that race, I was like, there was me, there was me before the race and then there's me after the race and that's forever going to be a moment like that I'm going to remember. Like it changed me, like going to the school changed me, you know, like 
different, you know, I'm sure we all have experiences like that, but there's these like points in time where we can look back and say, Hey, that was a catalyst for something, you know, good or bad. And the, the Montana bike Odyssey was a, was a good catalyst for me. Uh, it was my introduction to bike packing and, and it's, um, it's made it. I'm 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 in it. You know, I'm riding. I rode rode again the next year, and then uh, tried the TNGA and didn't finish. Um, and that was hard enough that I I kind of quit. At least on the like <laughs> mentally, I was like, that's enough of that. Like that's not fun. Which was part of the the issue with the the Montana bike yeah. to begin with. I was like, I was doing that. And I was like, Graham. I was riding with him for a fair amount of. It. I was like. I know what fun is. (laughs) I absolutely know what fun is. Like I've like, I can sit on the, I can sit on my surfboard in 80 degree water and catch a beautiful wave. And there's scarlet macaws flying over. And like, that is fun. There's no like, "Mm, fun when it's done. You know, it's not type two. It's just straight up fun. It's challenging, yeah, but it's just straight up fun. There's times on that, there were times on that trip where I was like, this isn't really fun. This is hard, you know, but it's that I falls into that type two category where you Absolutely. feel like you accomplished something. It was, um, physically challenging, you know, mentally challenging. It was all those things that you have to overcome, which, uh, we don't get much of, you know, like going to the office is it's challenging, no, it's different. But it's a different thing, you know. I talk about this a lot on the maybe no, hopefully not too much, but um I think it's worth talking about that we we are starved, we are starving ourselves of hard things, you know, like evolutionary we we develop by doing hard things and being tough and resilient. And we don't give ourselves the opportunity to put ourselves in those environments. I mean, we have to manufacture them, which is what we're doing. Yeah. But there's a value there that I think is intangible um, that we're tapping into something that, that makes sense to our bodies and our brains. Mm-hmm. And, our, and it says, yes, you know, I want to do that. Yeah. It's like what I said earlier about my parents saying you can do anything, you know. And that just like going out and doing that an 1800 mile bike ride or a 360 mile bike ride or a 60 mile bike ride, whatever, like going out and doing it, setting a goal and doing it. Like that's you doing it. It's, it's, um, it just solidifies that you can do anything. And I think those long bike trips and they build on each other and you start to gain even more confidence and, and that translates or transfers to all the other challenges in life. Exactly. Yeah, that is, those are mental tools that you can take into any area of your life. If you can ride 1800 miles and get through grizzly country and fires and snow and mechanicals and all the things and, Mm -hmm. and do it on your own. That's a very important aspect of this. Like you can walk away from that being like, I did that. I did that. And if you can take that perspective into any aspect of your life, I think it's going to, serve you well yeah i mean i think it helps you get through those those challenges that you run into you know yeah. even if you're not you're not 
realizing it at the time. Like one of the guys in my office was like, I don't understand. Like your job, like what you do for a living can be hard. You know, like I obviously I own a surf school, a surf Spanish school, but I also own a construction company and a design company and building houses, high end houses for clients is a, like it can be challenging, you know, like there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. There's delays. There's all of that. And it's stressful and, and all that. And, and Billy in the office was like, I don't understand, you know, like <laughs> you get enough of it, you <laughs> right. get enough of it at work. Why do right. you need to go out and ride your bike like that? And I was like, yeah, cause that makes the stuff at work easy. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, it it's is all funny relative, though. It's, you know? it's hard to like help get other people that don't get it like why would you want to take a vacation and go do that for three weeks like mm. it doesn't sound fun you yeah. know it sounds miserable yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean it was miserable for you and you yeah. almost quit and then yeah. like two weeks later you're like wait a second i did get something out of that yeah and i think uh yeah that's it like I, and it's, it's hard to sell it to people, yeah. you know, like I, like I, want I had to create a whole podcast to do it, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's not easy. I've been doing this five years. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to convince people that it's fun and it's a good time. But. Well, let's help convince people. So you said, uh, that the end of that event or that event was a, like a pivotal moment in your life and something that will alter the course into the trajectory of your life. I'm assuming that you didn't mean that only only to mean that okay now i bike back i assume that it added no it's it's exactly you alluded to it a second ago like you just have like it there's so much confidence that comes out of overcoming something that is that challenging yeah right that you can apply it to anything right it's a shitty day at work and like well is it you know, yeah. like, is it really? Yeah. Like, Air I mean, conditioning. Like, you know, I can like door dash some food. Yeah, like my shitters you know, right there. Yeah, I can wipe my butt. Like, my, yeah. hand's not, <laughs> my hand's not paralyzed. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just so many, like so many things that come from that, you yeah. know, like being able to accomplish that goal, setting a big goal and accomplishing it. And I, that applies to anything. For me, I happen to just like bikepacking is one of them that is, is it's a, it's a good way for me to do it because it's also fairly simple. You know, like the goal is I need to finish this ride. Yeah. Whatever that is. And I got to pedal. Yeah. So that's I gotta really do. what I got to do. I just got to get on my bike. And it's like the easiest you say thing what you're saying, ride your damn bike. That's like it. you just got to ride your damn bike. Yeah. And simple just, in theory. Yeah. You know, but it, but it not, it's because of that. It's, it's accessible. Yeah. To a lot of people, Graham and I talk about it. I'm sure this is, you realize it too, but bikepacking is, it's still inaccessible for a lot of people from a, like, how do you get the time off from work? You know, buying a bike, having the stuff, like the gear, all of that, like that adds up quick. So, you know, I think as a, as a community, I don't know what, how you know i mean i think you're doing it with your races trying to trying to make it more accessible do you, you know what i want to do because i think where we're at with bike packing right now is like it is very accessible i mean we do have programs for you know i mean there's programs out there and scholarships for people that oh, need, yeah. would like to go adventure i mean they're they're there are research, there's maps, there's podcasts, there's YouTube videos, mm -hmm. there's, I mean, you can go and ride the Tour Divide or go to Australia and ride whatever they have over there. I'm, the 
what is that one? Tassie's Gift. That's actually in Tasmania, but it's close enough. Uh-huh. Uh, you can ride that one. Um, but you can go into that with a lot of information. Like you can listen. I've done podcasts on yeah. both of those events. Yep. Um, you can you know what kind of bike you need. You know what kind of tire you need. I think one of the biggest barriers to entry, we have a lot of information, but because we're all different, we want to do different type of riding. Some of us want to go with weekend with our buddies. Some of us want to do 1800 miles. We're at different fitness levels. We're different sizes. So how much stuff can you put on your bike and how it's like, I would, I've been trying to figure out how this works, but create some kind of like bike packing consultant thing, because mm. I've done this a couple of times with significant others where, you know, like when I met Natalie, actually how we met was like, uh, it was a dating app, but I was, you know, I put in my profile, um, do bikes for death. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't say bikes for death in my pod, my, but I was like, I do a, a podcast about bikes and, you know, she saw, I had pictures of me like riding my bike packing and she, she was already like, she already bought a bike and she was like wanting to go do bike packing and was very new and hadn't done it yet, but was like on that course and, and seeking yep. out. So she saw my profile and she's like, Oh, that's interesting. Why don't I go on a date with this guy? Worst case scenario, I learned about bike packing, uh-huh. you know? And, uh, but I mean, one thing that she and I have talked about is like, I cut through not because I'm amazing. I've been through the process. You've been through the process of, I've bought so much gear that didn't work or too much gear and mm. knowing where it goes. And there's like, which stove do I get and where do I put it in my bag and what bags do I need? And do I do paneers or do I do traditional bikepacking bags? And like delineating all that information down, like I can just go to Natalie. I'm just like, you just have to trust me. I'm going to tell you exactly what you need. And you know, she can confirm I'll get her on the podcast, but I, you know, there hasn't been a misstep. I've, yeah. I've accelerated her process. We've gone from, you know, never doing it to this is exactly what you need going on a first trip. And now you're bikepacking, you know, and I'd like to make a school like, you know, the same thing. Like I, I want to help facilitate people's um, access, not only to the bikes, but really to outdoors, to the adventures that that individual person wants to have. I want to unlock that for people. And it can be a little overwhelming right now, I think, with like all the information that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I think there's also that just cost of gear and stuff yeah. too, that can get to be it's excessive. Yeah, I can. It's it's a lot, you know. Yeah. And so, but it's a it's a singular investment. Hopefully, I mean, you got to keep yeah. maintaining your bike and stuff yeah, like so that. Like but what you're talking about, you know, the if you're able to kind of distill it down to the the essentials, yeah, you're not like buying out of fear of the unknown, right? So I need to have these things. You know, I need to have this. I need to have extra sleeping pad and I'm going to have to have another, you know, tarp for my tent. You know, like you start carrying all this extra stuff because you don't know, like you've done it. You're able to teach here. Here's what you need. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And I preach simplicity. Like let's make it simple. Let's make it about you and your bike. Not really about your bike. Actually, let's make it about you and your experience. And how can we make all the shit you're carrying, not distract from what you're trying to accomplish. And I've, I've gone through my own process where I'm just, you know, every time I come home for a trip, I'm like, I didn't use that, 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 you know, I mm-hmm. brought this stupid chess board. I'm like, I'm never going to play that. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, like, it's like, I don't want to go, you know, and I, you just learn over time. It's like, I don't, I'm not going to get to where I'm going and want to play chess. I'm going to want to go on a hike <laughs> or like, uh-huh. you know, take a picture of something pretty or, yep. you know, and so, but I love it. It's, I love, 
I said in Bikepacking Basics, this clinic that I did recently, bikepacking is minimalism at its finest, you know, and, yeah. and lean into that, you know, like lean into how little, I mean, don't be unsafe about it, but yeah. embrace the fact that with food and water and shelter, you can go and do anything, you know, just yeah. have those things, some tools to fix your bike if it breaks and um, extra, anyway. extra tube, extra. T- well, yeah, we, we've talked about <laughs> tubes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely repair, tire repair stuff yeah, of all sorts. Sure. Um, well, I got off track here. Let's get back to Montana bike odyssey. Um, so I read I, off the website. I, I looked him up since we've been talking about it. Uh, it's September 5th this year, 1746 miles. 1,065 of those miles are gravel and the rest of them are mostly like remote paved country roads, yeah. like out in the middle of nowhere, not highways, not inter- interstates. No, I mean, very, very little, you know, two lane highway, if any, you know. So that's the, that's like the, dis- you know, the, the details, I guess. Oh, a hundred thousand feet of climbing. Yeah. So there's some climbing. <laughs> there's bit. a, there's a, uh, John Steinbeck quote about Montana from his book, Travels with Charlie in Search of America. Um, I just read that book very recently. Mm -hmm. He has a quote in there. I am in love with Montana. For other states, I have admiration, respect, even some affection. But with Montana, it's love. And uh, I love that quote. I love John Steinbeck. I'm a huge Steinbeck fan. I love... I love his brevity, mm-hmm. you know, and how he just can't capture something so simply with words. Uh, do you want to try to one up John Steinbeck? How would you describe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an unfair question, <laughs> that's but absolutely but, unfair. But um, how, you know, other than like the stats, like I don't know, what was your impression of you've done? How many times have you done it now? I've done it twice, twice, and, and this will be your third yeah, year. Yeah, and then last year, just like I said, I had COVID. Last year, I did some just. I took a camper van out and and just did random trail magic. Oh, cool. Like I made a bunch of cookies and Rice Krispie treats and drove a thousand miles over the first five days of the race, just like jumping out in front so that I could connect with the riders as they came through and sit and talk with them for a little bit, you know, because everybody likes, I mean, one thing when you're on an ultra endurance race like that, that's going to go on for days, like you spend so much time in your head, like it's nice to talk to somebody yeah you know and these guys are all riding by themselves like it's good to get in your head but like too much of it like yeah. <laughs> get, a little, get a little stir crazy so yeah. uh last year i just drove and would set you know set up on the side of the road and just you know that's a cool was, thing to do yeah it was kind of fun because i still want to be involved with it and i just didn't have the health to do it um but i don't you know montana is somewhere that I think I might have even read Travels with Charlie while I was in Montana the first time. I I was in love and went to see the girl. She moved there and I went out to see her. And, you know, so everything is that kind of colored. Yeah, rose by, colored. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by that time, you know, and I was young, 20, 20, early 20s. And we went up to Glacier and I was just blown away. Like, it's impossible to to really describe how majestic the state is, how few people there are. I remember just, you know, like 
like driving through the state and seeing all these signs on the side of the road that were like, you know, watch for moose and, you know, mm-hmm. be bear aware and watch for avalanches. And it was just like, it was just so like, I don't know, exciting and different to be in a place where it's truly still wild. Yes. A you true know? wild experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, we went camping up in Glacier National Park and, you know, hiking. It's bear country. So you have to take a class kind of on how to deal with a bear encounter. Um, and these are grizzlies. So it's not, they're big, you know, six, 700 pounds. Like they're big <laughs> and apex predators. Um, and I couldn't sleep the first night. Like I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep like a wink, like any branches cracking, anything like that. Like I was like, there's a bear coming. You know, like it just, <laughs> hey, yogi. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just freaked me out. And Montana is, um, but I, you know, that doesn't describe the state, but it just like, it still has, I think this, that's a, you know, this kind of wild adventurous spirit to it. The people are, are like, they'll bend over backwards to help you. I mean, you just have to be able to rely you have to there. I mean, it's so sparsely populated that if you come upon somebody in need, you've got to stop and help them. You know, which is bikepacking too has a lot of that. You know, like yeah. I think you know if you're if you're riding your bike and you run into somebody that's on the side of the road, you know, some races I guess don't want you to help them, but most you know like you yeah. at least stop. You got what you need. You know, is there and if you don't, I do it. I have a bike rack on the back of my car always. Yeah. So if I see someone walking their bike or something, I'm like, hey, man, you need a lift or need a tool or something, you know? Yeah. It's uh, so Montana, it's, it's almost in a way like a, it, Costa Rica, it impacted me the same way. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just so phenomenally beautiful. It's a place where you just want to be outside. You definitely want to like winter because <laughs> it comes early and stays late. Um, but yeah, it's I'll just uh, visit. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I moved out there, you know, I like lived we Bozeman's 20 minutes from the ski hill, Bridger Bowl, which um, you know, go up there and get a season pass and spend the winter on the hill, yeah, snowboarding and, and you got to do, yeah. And it's it's a blast, you know, like to be outside, and that's it, and that's what at that time in my life, that's all I wanted to do. And I think honestly, it never left. You know, I just, I don't spend as much time in Montana now. Um, part of the school process, being able to buy that was I had a house out there that I'd bought when I was in college. I had to sell that. Um, but the Montana bike odyssey is a way for me to go back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sold. You sold me. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 yeah, no, no apologize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm happy to be sold. <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. I mean, it's, um, it's definitely worth the visit. No, I, it's a I great place to ride I, your bike too. Uh, I want to. I want to go and check it out. Like you're, you're going to ride it this year. Yeah. Um, I'd like to go out and figure out a way to, you know, go out and experience it in some way for myself. Ride a portion of it. Do some. Well, that'd be a good way do to do some it. Just podcasting. Ride, like, if you started, you know, day one, ride the first, you know, three hundred miles or something, which would be. That'd fun. be fun. You get to go up through the. It's gravelies. actually a really good idea because, like we you and i talked off air but like i just with the kids i can't take three week, weeks yeah off. yeah but like i can take a week i could go ride you know x minute of miles finish whatever i'm doing and get a taste of it mm-hmm. and then leapfrog to the end and maybe talk to grant and you yeah. know one of the people that did it or something like that yeah, graham yeah oh sorry graham yeah oh, yeah God. um no that's i mean that'd be a good way to do it or it's, well it's you reached out because like 
not a lot of people are signing up. Like it's a new, it's a new event. Yeah, I mean, COVID event, was so, so third, like, it's the third year. It needs a little promotion. And I guess it's the fourth year of it will be this year. And it does, um, you know, it's the people that wrote it last year, the guys, five guys wrote it last year and they were all, which I, they were all young, which I thought was really cool because I've been on a lot of bikepacking trips now and, and it's not, a lot of young guys doing it like it just you know i think that we were talking about that cost money yeah you know and and having the time and all of that it's can be something that you know you've made to a certain point in your life for some people anyways to be able to do that but these guys were all fairly young guys that went out there and did it and the guy that won it um dexter um copious copious yeah uh, copious I remember. yeah he did it in 10 days wow Wow. Wow. That's yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> it is cool though. I think, I mean, I've been interviewing more like PJ Terry is a great example. Uh -huh. um, but uh, a lot because of bikepacking is getting out there. It's yeah. not mainstream, but you know, yeah, people are you learning can learn about, about it. it. Yeah. And, and we're starting to see, I mean, you know, high schools have cross country programs and then they're like, oh wait, you can take your shit bike packing. And you know, mm -hmm. there's a whole other level. And I think we're just going to see more and more young people, which is wonderful. Yeah. More people, young or old, I don't care. Yeah, I'm not just gonna, get out and ride your just, bike. Just get right? out and ride your damn bike. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. I, I, I would like to go out there and I appreciate you putting it on my radar and, and also like through the podcast, like uh, putting it on other people's radar. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm part of what yeah. I want to do is grow this community and uh, give people access to opportunities through information, you know, and, and I, uh, this is one that is relatively new. It sounds amazing and, uh, needs to get some more, you know, some yeah, more writers out there, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, to see Montana, that's, that's it. Like it's a, it's a great, yeah, you're not going to be disappointed. Anybody that shows up to do the ride is not going to be disappointed by how magnificent Montana is, you know, right. and how gracious a host Graham is. You know, like he just, as the race organizer, he's a he's an advocate for bikepacking. He's an advocate for cycling in general and Montana, you know, and like he wants you to interact with the communities. And when you're riding through and he realizes that, that there's an economic upside for all these small towns that we're riding through the more cyclists that come like it's just you know yeah it's, it's a good thing his vision is is solid and and it's you know he's doing it's it for the right reasons doing it for the right reasons yeah. absolutely yeah no he sounds um, like a awesome guy and i i have a kinship with that with what i do in east texas and trying mm -hmm. to show people parts of texas that they wouldn't normally see and pop them into little mom and pop shops mm -hmm. you know and with Betsy Sue behind the counter or whatever. And, and, and it's been a, it's been a very enriching experience for me to be able to, to create that and, and to provide that to the community, but also to the people who participate. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a mutually beneficial thing. And I think it's good for society. We were talking about perspective, you know, coming to a different culture and embracing mm -hmm. their culture and respecting it and being aware of it. Um, we need that perspective the same way that we need the perspective of doing hard things and taking that into our daily life and be like, actually, this isn't that hard. You know, perspective is muy importante. Yeah. <laughs> well, well said, well said. Ah, gracias, senor. <laughs> All right. So let's tie a bow on it. I wanted to close out with, um, can we talk about Addy and his tattoo? Do you think you would mind? 
Uh, I don't, I don't know if he would or not. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'll ask him later. Yeah. You still tell about the, the phrase though. Memento Mori. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I can like summarize it well, but it's just, you know, the, to me it's a concept. Okay. Right? Uh, and the concept is, you know, we have, let's say life expectancy is 80, you know, and you break that down and think about that in the number of days, like you can absolutely figure out how many days we're going to be alive. And I think the really what it means is just to be aware that this is you have today and then it's gone and you're one day closer to using up all those days. And so be intentional about how you use those days. And it's easy to get sidetracked. We all do it. I do it all the time. And I say this kind of stuff because it's more, I'm just trying to yeah, reinforce it, reinforce it with myself, yeah. you know, like it's so easy to get distracted and be in a shit mood about something, you know, and, um, and you kind of waste in that like very precious time. It's weird. It's so, this is so interesting because today I was out in the surf and there's this guy paddled out Sergio who's, uh, I met out in the water I don't know, a couple of years ago and he's from Colombia originally and he's a fisherman now and he surfs super nice guy. And I was like, how are you doing today? And he's like, I'm great, man. It is a great day. I was like, yeah, what's going on? You know? Cause I know he, he's like, he's, you know, I thought he was going to like see his son or, you know, what was going on. He's like, it's just, I'm here. It's today. It's a great day, you know, like that's enough. I was like, Sergio, that's like, thank you. Because it just made me think about the rest of the day or certainly the rest of my session in a different, <laughs> in a different way. But that, I mean, to me, that's kind of memento mori, you know, like, and if I'm, you know, at least the way I understand it, the way I've paraphrased it in my own, my own brain, but just yeah. being aware and realizing that it's finite, and we got to keep, you know, we got to use it. Yeah. Time is precious. Very precious. Mm-hmm. Use it or lose it. The phrase I said that came to mind again when you talk, talked about Sergio was uh, there's a song that says, be here now. What a place to be. And that's kind of the mantra that I, and and just like you, I, and, and in bikepacking, it's, it's important when you're, when you're, 1700 miles from the finish line you're 100 miles in and you're thinking about the finish line you're fucking yourself in the oh, brain absolutely. you know you yeah. need to be here now like you need to appreciate the moments now and it and it's hard to do but it's it's worth repeating again and again and again time is valuable spend it wisely and be in the moment yeah yeah there's another th- phrase that's used quite quite often down here that doesn't necessarily High into the memento mori, but the it's poco poco, which I learned from this older Don Ricardo, and essentially it's little by little, and that's you know a great way to think about so many things that are big. Yeah, right. Whether it's an eighteen hundred mile bikepacking trip, it's you know or, trying to save money to buy a house, or you know lose weight or whatever, get through college. I mean, anything, right? Yep. It's like, it's just that it's little by little, but you have to keep going and you have to keep looking at it. Keep it in mind anyways. You don't have to be out in front of yourself, but keep it in mind what you're trying to accomplish. And if you can just 
keep picking away at it. It's really, it's a really like, I don't know, profound three words. I, I couldn't know? agree more. And it's something that I, uh, another thing that I try to instill in myself is little by little. And it's a, another perspective that I really value through talking to people is I, you're not going to meet people that live a cool lifestyle. I mean, cool might be the wrong word, cool or interesting or fun, whatever that is, whatever the lifestyle is that are them that they created. Like nobody does it overnight. You know, everybody who has accomplished something great, whether it's winning the tour divide or completing the tour divide or mm -hmm. Montana bike odyssey, like they didn't just wake up and hop on their bike and go for a ride. You know, that, that, that shows that, you know, it, it take it, everything is a process, you know, yeah. you have to figure out what you want to do. You have to spend your time wisely and you have to just work at it little by little. And eventually you'll, you'll get where you're going. You yeah. Know? Don't forget what you're trying to get, where it, you're trying to go too, which is easy because you get distracted. Yeah. It can be distracting. You can get, you can get distracted. You I've know? been distracted. Like, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I think for me, People ask me how I ended up here and I was like, I just, I don't know. I remember that. I remember being on the beach at 22 and saying, somehow I'm going to figure out a way to have a place in Costa Rica. And I believed it Yeah. when I said it. I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I believed it and then didn't forget about it and kind of kept, you know, <laughs> kept, kept going. Yeah. I, I like that perspective. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. It was, I, it was great to get to spend the week with you and to ride with you and Natalie and just watch you surf and, you know, like it's... <laughs> surf. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it's, a, it's that's hard stuff. It's hard. It's hard stuff. I mean, riding a bike, that saying, you know, riding a bike, just like riding a bike, it's true. You can get back on your bike after not riding for a while and, and ride again, you know. Yeah. Surfing's one of those things that's, there's a lot of muscles involved and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to learn. It's super dynamic. The water's always moving, you know, there's just a lot going on. So it's intense. It's yeah. a, uh, it's a lifelong pursuit. Yeah, for sure. And you are at the I'm beginning on my of, way. Oh, you're at the beginning of it, which is really exciting, you know, because well, it can, it can, it can take you to places all over the world, just like bikepacking. Like it's a pack. If it becomes a passion, which, you know, we'll see it'll it can drive can drive you to do all sorts of weird things you know <laughs> yeah i'm thinking like you know the baja divide doing like oh yeah you know ride the bike and then stop at different surf points and like surf along the way or something yeah, really cool. yeah i yeah. mean it's hard uh but i like hard things mm -hmm. uh i i like you know we talked about this before but the ocean's the one place the bike can't go you know yep. so like i have an excuse there's an <laughs> asterisk there it's like hey man my bike can't go um, i can i can go surfing you yeah know? it's been it, it i cannot thank you enough this has been this has been one of those life-altering experiences i i truly believe that you know i think that this experience will help inform and shape my life going forward and it's been in a jumping off point from surfing to cultural experience to you know starting my journey with learning spanish and i can't thank you enough man it's been a it's been a real joy and a pleasure and i've enjoyed meeting you as well well that's really cool man i appreciate it and i'm i'm uh glad you had a good time you know yeah. how I, could i not <laughs> yeah i can't i can't yeah it's good all right, homie. Should we drink some cervezas? Absolutely. <laughs> or Cheers. Te or tequila. Tequila. <laughs> Salud. <laughs> Salud. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'm 
back from Haco, Costa Rica, and next week I'm heading back to Oaxaca in southern Mexico, and uh, just going for a fun, actually, it was like a really impromptu trip. For those of you who are imploring me to get an interview with Cass Gilbert, he is well on my radar. Um, I have tried to snag an interview with him both times I've been to Haco, but unfortunately, we just haven't been able to make it work. This time, he's actually, I believe he's in Vermont right now. He's not even in Haco. So, um, don't worry. I He is on my radar. I get a lot of people who are messaging me about that. And uh, I, too, would love to sit down with the great Cass Gilbert. And hopefully one day those stars will align. Uh, but until then, we'll keep bringing you podcasts every week with other amazing guests, bike packers, bike adventurers, and just cool bike people. All right, well, if you'd like to support these episodes, Bikes for Death is doing a ton of traveling. I just got back from Arkansas. I'm headed to Oaxaca next week. I got West Virginia on the books. I've got Asheville, North Carolina on the books, and I'm sure there's other places that I'm forgetting as well. Anything you can do to help support this podcast is greatly appreciated, and you can find out more over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And as I close out today's episode, I want to leave you with something that we discussed in today's episode, which is that phrase, memento more, which means or loosely translates to remember that one day you will die. And that is not to depress you, but it is to serve as a reminder that one day you will die and to make the most of today. Memento more, my friends and Pura Vida. Until next week, you know what to do. Go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. Folklore, fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke, stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes, oh, death. Bikes, oh, death.